Hello film thieves, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. Today I have Matt Simmons on the show to talk about the Italian neorealist classic Bicycle Thieves, but before we get to our conversation, just want to remind you all, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, add a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. You can also follow the show on social media, Frankly I Love Movies, on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. Speaking of which, be sure to be on the lookout next week for the next diary entry. I have a lot of new movies that I've seen on there, and it's going to be really exciting to finally talk about some of them with you. And uh, following that, on December 6th, two weeks from today, I will have the new standalone episode all about Ali, Fear Eats the Soul, the Rainer Werner Fassbender classic with one of my old professors from Ithaca, Kathy Crane. I had a really fantastic time uh, on that episode with her just closely examining Fassbender as an artist, and I can't wait for you guys to hear that. Today is an incredibly special day because I get to say one of my favorite phrases that I get to say on this show, and that is, welcome back, Matt. Oh, thanks, buddy. I'm always <laughs> glad to be here. I love having you here, and uh, I think we have something really special today. When I first approached um, you to come back on the show for a standalone episode, not a part of a series because we last had you on for No Country, but before that we talked about another round, I wanted mm -hmm. us to do something kind of monumental in a way, something yeah. that we really had to kind of delve deep in and um, something bigger. And I was thinking like we could do like one of our all time favorites. We can do something that would be like a longer form and then we tossed around like there will be blood or something like that. But why did you land on choosing Bicycle Thieves? You know, I, I, I wish I could remember because I, I know, yeah, we were tossing around a lot of different things. And I think it, I was just thinking about it for some reason because um, I don't even know what it was. I guess I, I was watching something or thinking about something and just like in terms of all these classics that are held up in such high regard, uh, whether mm -hmm. on these like lists like Sight and Sound or, you know, other critic lists. And um, for me, Bicycle Thieves is one that like I totally get. I'm, you know, I mm -hmm. just I think it still holds up and I think it's so important and you can see, you know, inspiration mm -hmm. from it. So I was like, how about we do Bicycle Thieves? Like just a you know, a, a classic, like kind of like a, a film snob, you know, yeah. pick, if you will. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I was like, I thought, it, you know, it'd be fun. And I've been meaning to rewatch it anyway. So this was a really good reason to. Yeah, I, I totally agreed. I had never I hadn't really thought about that, um, that era of film, because I think on this show, we've mainly focused on um, a lot more modern films. And because yeah. that's like kind of what the, the show was based around is what we were inspired by around the time that we started the show. But, you know, I have been recently really going back into the film archives and finding older stuff, and really it hits a sweet spot for me, movies that are in the 60s, the 50s, and the 40s. There's just something really sweet about them and the way that it's like just filmmaking stripped down and the fundamentals. I mean, the fundamentals are incredibly important for any budding cinephile or any wannabe filmmaker um, because you see how... Um, you know, it gets to your more modern classics, but also like you find in some older stuff that really touches you in a certain way. And Bicycle Thieves was one of those for me when I watched it. I was I was just blown away by it. And, uh, you know, I, I still think that and it, it was it is one of those things. There is something special when you see a movie on top of every list, every 
film mm-hmm. class, every mention of one some of the best films ever. This is one where you watch it and you're like, yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah. I totally understand why. Even like just like right from the beginning, like you just get this sense that it, you're in the hands of a master and that you are going to be witnessing a story that feels monumental. And obviously we'll talk a lot about Italian neorealism, but it's a very important movie for a lot of reasons. And I'm right. very excited um, to talk about it today. Um, do you remember the first time you watched it? I do, actually, somewhat distinctly. I was house sitting for my now fiance's family. I was watching their cats and just their house in general while they were at the beach. Um, and I had gone to the library at the beginning of the week to get some movies. Cause I'm a dork that goes to the libraries when I could, I mean, now it seems silly. Like there's so many streaming services, but it was more about like the intent of like, if you go to the library and get these four movies, it's like, I got to watch these four. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and bicycle thieves was there. And I remember seeing it on all these, you know, sight and sound lists and these other critic lists. And like, it's like a, you know, an all time classic. And, um, yeah, and so that was one of the four that I checked out from the library. I think I also got Barry Lyndon that week, and uh, I can't remember the other ones were, but I watched it there, and I thought it was fantastic. And yeah, I remember this very specifically. Um, do you remember what we also did? Um, I certainly remember. <laughs> I certainly remember you coming over and watching Spy Kids 3D with me. Well, of, of course, but there was something else that we did in relation to this show. We uh, recorded an episode there. Mm-hmm. We did, yeah. We yeah. recorded an episode at their kitchen table, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Was that you the Spy Kids? Ep- no, that wasn't no, the Spy no. Kids because that was in your room. What very close? Was it the happening? It was the happening. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of full circle, you know, like the second episode yeah, that you're on. How about that? We talk about you know um, almost you know, four years later at this point. Um, so that's really special. Uh, yeah, I remember you talking about it and I, it was one of those movies that I like, I knew the title, but I didn't really know anything else about. And I was Mm -hmm. like, and for some reason it just kind of, it wasn't like immediately for me, like, Oh, I got to watch that just kind of drifted in my head. And then since I think I watched it the first time last year in March and, uh, yeah, I was going through like a lot of older films, like, uh, like I was like, I watched like 400 blows in this in Mm -hmm. the, in uh, the same span of time. So it was just kind of an at-home viewing, but there was just something about it that it immediately takes you. And I was like so happy to have finally crossed off the list. It was so satisfying. Do you yeah. find it more satisfying than not to um, watch more classic films and cross them off the list? Or do you find yourself more disappointed sometimes? Or you're like, I don't understand why this is a, a great film. Like, what's your What are your feelings more often than not when you watch a classic? Is it just like, all right, I'm glad I watched it and I can say I've seen it or you're like yes that was something that I really liked yeah I mean you you put it beautifully earlier that like a lot of these older films are so stripped back like Mm -hmm. you know it's impressive to see what they did with what they could at the time because obviously they were working with way smaller budgets way smaller scale um in something like this you have a lot of like people that were probably non-actors a lot of the Mm -hmm. supporting cast and so it's always interesting to see even if it's something that doesn't always click with me in the end or I just don't quite get a lot out of, it's always interesting to see just what, you know, they were capable of doing back then. And like, I think because of the technical limitations, you see some really compelling storytelling. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I definitely think there's like some classics that like Breathless, for example, I watched and I was just like, I'm not really feeling this at all. Like Mm -hmm. maybe this was influential, but like, 
I yeah. I'd like to revisit it, but it just wasn't mm-hmm. doing a single thing for me. But something like this, I'm like, okay, yep, mm-hmm, yep, I get mm-hmm. this. And like, I've been watching some, you know, Bergman films lately, and some of those have just like really clicked with me. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally see why everybody loves uh, Wild Strawberries. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a mixed bag. But even if I'm, you know, not quite understanding why it has the praise it does, I am still glad to watch it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is always very satisfying to cross it off the list. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Breathless either. Like, I like it. I watched it. I probably like it a little bit more than you. I was like, oh, that was cool. Like, that's an interesting story. And that's, you know, I, I can see why it was influential. But it wasn't one that I, like, I'm going to run back to. Like, I would yeah. I would, I would definitely, like, really watch it for the show. But I'm not going to. Uh, it's not at the top of my rewatch list at, right. uh, at this point. But, yeah, I've been really enjoying, uh, you know, seeping myself into the older cinema style of, like, understanding what they did to make movies back then, but also like where the interests in genre lied. Like I watched a movie called all that heaven allows by Douglas Sirk that just blew me away because of how, I mean, it's all melodrama, but it's got so much pain behind it. And it was interesting because that's what in the fifties, that's something that was, you know, incredibly interesting and well-liked at the time. And it's just been really fun to kind of take a break from the modern tendencies of cinema and kind of just go back and find something else new, like going just kind of back in the history books and finding, uh, you know, new interests or new inspirations or just a voice. And, you know, this is you know, one of the best examples uh, for me. Uh, I'd love to talk about on the topic of genre. And you mentioned breathless. I'd like to talk about Italian neorealism and French new wave, two of the, you know, most talked about, influential film movements always talked about in film class. And um, I want to know, like for you, before I get into the history of it, do you have a relationship to neorealism? And like, did you watch any other movies in preparation for this or what's your takeaway from that? Yeah. I mean, I, unlike you did not go to film school and I didn't, I I had always thought about (laughs) taking film classes at in college at some point, but it never panned out. Um, I did take some classes that ended up kind of being film classes in a way. Uh, like one of the journalism classes I took, kind of, we watched a lot of journalism movies, but, um, mm-hmm. so I didn't, you know, I was not as familiar with these two movements until mm-hmm. you know, I just later researched them on my own. And I still am, you know, only ankle deep in either of them mm-hmm. aside from bicycle thieves. I think the only, I uh, recently, I, I also watched El Posto, um, which was towards the tail end of the movement in the sixties. But other than that, I'm familiar with a lot of the titles, but I have not watched them, which mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of regret, but I know you've seen a couple more than me so you can fill us mm-hmm. in uh and then yeah french new wave aside from breathless and the 400 blows i have not you know i'd like to go deeper into those two directors bodies of work but mm-hmm. uh again more one that i'm familiar with why it was important and what you know qualities are attributed to the the movement but i'm not an expert by any means mm-hmm. yeah i'm also not an expert um what'd you think of il posto give us a quick review i liked it i mm-hmm. I, I liked it i, I it, it didn't hit me the same way that Bicycle Thieves did because I think, you know, a lot of these neorealist films, it seems to be it's just about like the bleak, brutal reality that was life <laughs> back in these days. And mm-hmm. um, I think Il Posto just kind of meanders a little too much for most of it. But I really, really liked the ending um, and like the scene that leads up to it. And um, that that was so effective for me. So I, I it left me with a better taste in my mouth than mm. the, most of the film did. 
Um, but it still had a lot of really cool ideas, and I like the lead actor. It's on my list. I will definitely get to it. It's been fun going through the Criterion channel. has all the this like collection of like 18 neorealist films. I was going through some of them. Uh, just for like a quick background um, on Italian neorealism, uh, it is one, like I said, with French New Wave, one of the most influential waves of cinema or movements of cinema that um, has influenced you know the, so much of modern films that you see. They have similarities, but they are also like very different at the same time. Italian neorealism uh, was mainly focusing on the um, lower class of people trying to get their lives back together after um, or even during World War II. And so a lot of the films will use non-actors and on-location filming, very um, mundane stories and mundane in the sense that there are there is a lot of meandering, mm-hmm. but some of them are like I think Bicycle Thieves is a good example of one that's very structured. Yeah, um, like Paced the story is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so is Rome Open City. Rome Open City is a bit more structured, but most of it was, you know, kind of the introduction to slice of life filmmaking where mm-hmm. you were just kind of seeing the aftermath of an event that everyone knew about. And you were focusing in on one small part of this, you know, greater world that everyone uh, had seen through, you know, in news. And obviously like, you know, when they, when the war was going on, uh, some of the more famous directors of the movement uh, include uh, the director of Bicycle Thieves, which is Vittorio De Sica, who's phenomenal. Um, Fellini, Fellini, interestingly enough, though, was more uh, kind of known in this movement because the movement primarily takes place from the early 40s to like the very early 50s. It was kind of a just a decade long movement um, because mm-hmm. after that, once the financial situation in Italy started to pick up, the themes in the films weren't as prevalent. So some be kind of came more. Uh, and that's what actually when French New Wave started, French New Wave kind of started in the uh, in the early 50s. And that was much more about stylistic changes and um, total break from norms. And uh, I'm also not an expert in, I mean, I'm not an expert in either of these, but I've only seen a few French New Wave movies and kind of seen some short films and obviously read about it. Um, I'd like to do more reading, but right now, I mean, Italian neorealism is like such a huge focus for me right now that I'm so fascinated by. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so there's Fellini, uh, like I was saying, uh, wrote a lot of films with uh, Rossellini, Roberto Rossellini, who had a lot of films during this time, starring uh, Ingrid Bergman. Famously, they uh, their daughter is uh, Isabella Rossellini. Excuse me. Ah, Right. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, Roberto Rossellini and Fellini wrote a lot of movies together, including uh, Rome Open City. There's other directors uh, like Giuseppe DeSantis and Lucino uh, Visconti. Um, it's just interesting that it's like in a very contained period of time. It is like the direct aftermath of the war and uh, when um, Italy was in financial despair. French New Wave is a little different because it's much more uh, about there's a lot of documentary styles in it. It has a lot of on-location shooting, but very long takes, sometimes uh, continuity errors and ambiguity. It's a lot more of like cool characters, quote unquote, right. like people like tr- thinking they're of a much more beatnik kind of, uh, for lack of a better term. And uh, Italian neorealism is like, this is real and it's very much led with the heart, uh, right. even though it is very bleak. Uh, and can be very, um, it can break you down, which is kind of one of the legacies of this movie is that it uh, really kicks you in the stomach. It sure does. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, very, yeah, it's like, wow, life sucks, doesn't it? 
It sure does. It's it's uh, it's something. And the second rewatch, you know, definitely opened more things for me. And I noticed how the story moves within it. But I also focused on characters because there's something about the characters in this movie that do feel like real people, but they're people who you really empathize with, even though they're not the best people. Mm-hmm. Like I think uh, the main character, Antonio Ricci, um, is incredibly empathetic and you really care for him throughout this entire thing. But he's not the best guy. Like, he's not like a great person, you know, and he's not a great father, but you mm-hmm. care for him. You like, you, you really, there is a weird, like, kind of tug and pull a, at points. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's such an emotional roller coaster that each emotional moment I feel is incredibly effective. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just going back to comparing the two movements, to me, it always seemed like French New Wave was like a product of the time in France with like all this philosophy going on. And you had like mm-hmm. Albert Camus and Jean-Paul Sartre. Sartre? Sartre? I don't, I don't speak French. Yeah. But uh, like those guys doing their thing. And I think French New Wave was kind of working in tandem with that of like being very heady. But mm-hmm. the Italian neorealist is just like, this is what it is. Like, we're just presenting mm-hmm. to you life as it is. Like, mm-hmm. there are brutal realities of it. And I really like that physical nature of it, just like how matter of fact these movies mm-hmm. are um, and how unapologetic they are. Because, yeah, I mean, it's easy to yeah, just say like, yeah, they beat you down. But like it, it does. It just humanizes a people that like I, I think in America, at least probably post-war you know, it was easy to hate on Germans and Italians as a whole, but obviously mm-hmm. a lot of these civilians didn't, you know, they weren't the ones committing the atrocities. They, they were right. just trying mm-hmm. to live and support their families. And I mean, I was watching this this time thinking about, Oh, I wonder if he was, you know, in the Italian army. I wonder if, you know, mm-hmm. like you wonder that what was happening to this family prior to, you know, mm-hmm. where we are introduced to them. Um, and so I was definitely thinking about that this time around. And yeah, a lot of these, you know, I think the tone of a lot of these films, yeah, was, you know, born directly due to the terrible circumstances surrounding World War II, especially in Italy. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think they create some really empathetic works as a result. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, the one that really kind of kicked off the movement or the one that got the movement a lot of traction was Rossellini's Rome Open City, which won uh, the Palme d'Or at Cannes, which I've seen. It's really great. Like it honestly is a really good movie. It's um, really, um, it is it is a movie that is set during World War II, mm-hmm. and it is a kind of this like resistance um, fighter kind of how this group of people kind of gets beaten down by the system. And it's it's really fascinating. It's really good. There's another Rossellini movie that I watched called um, Germany Year Zero. It's very mm-hmm. short. Um, interesting that it's Italian realism, but it's about Germany. Um, but it's like 70 minutes. It focuses on uh, this kid of a German family trying to do his family right after the war. Um, and it's really interesting. It wasn't one that like really stuck with me, but it's, it is a cool experiment of a movie in that it is much more meandering than Rome Open City is, which I mentioned was a, a lot more of a straight structure of a story. Um, the other one that I've seen, um, and obviously Bicycle Thieves, but there's other movies like Europe 51, Rome 11, Miracle on Milan. The one that I've seen, the other one that I've seen, which is by Vittorio De Sica, which is um, The Children Are Watching Us, which is mm-hmm. phenomenal. It's so good. It's uh, it's also pretty short. Most of these movies are fairly short. Paisan is like a little over two hours, but most of these are under like hour 40, something like that. 
but children are watching us is focused solely on another like child centric movie about like kind of dealing with the neglect of his parents throughout the the war and him trying to have this responsibility of keeping his family together and finding who to look up to which is another aspect of a lot of these movies is that they have a child uh main character Right, adds which, like another level of empathy. And, exactly, it um, makes sense to add the kid to you know that's an easy empathy win right there. Like it's an innocent mm-hmm. child. Like of course you're gonna you know stick with the kid. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, I think Bicycle Thieves and Robo Open City are a great double feature because they represent all of the values that this movement was um, representing and that they uh, are a bit more story structured than some of these others. And they kind of are like this rise and fall in story in that Rome Open City is about the escalation of World War II and how it played out in Italy. And then Bicycle Thieves is like the direct aftermath. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just it's just interesting. And I, I really love these films. And it's an, uh, it, it, they can test the audience. They are very much like it's all about patience and the payoff is to be hurt, you know, yeah. <laughs> which can be, which can be a tough ask for a lot of modern audience goers. But I do find them very rewarding in that their capabilities of writing, their incredible texts. I think Bicycle Thieves is just an amazing text to teach. It's such a good script, despite having like eight people having yeah. written it, which is insane. Yeah, um, that's, that was one thing I noticed like this time in the credits. I'm like, mm-hmm. so many people wrote this movie. Like, I yeah, seven people. That, Jesus, but. Jesus Christ. And yeah, I, I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know. But um, but yeah, there's so much empathy and uh, investment. There's like instant investment in pretty much all of these movies because you understand that these are not the bad guys. You know, these right. are the people who were hurt by it. And sometimes, you know, the characters aren't good people like the, the parents in the children are watching us are awful they're very bad and it makes the story very compelling and you very much care for the kid um and this is again the opposite of that where we're focusing on the parent and the parent letting his family down and you right. know the this and again this is just one of the most tragic endings ever but it's yeah. also so satisfying. You know, there's something about it that it, because it's so such a complete story. Yeah. You know, if it ended with him getting his bicycle back, I don't know if it would be the same. No, it would be. Yeah. That's the Hollywood ending. That is not, you know, indicative of this movement. <laughs> you know, that's not the reality. <laughs> the reality is like, what what is next for this family? Like, where are they going to yeah. go from here? And you don't know. As a viewer, mm-hmm. you're left hanging. You're left in the same boat as them. Like, what am I going to do next? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have any other general thoughts on realism or bicycle thieves before we dive into it? Just more so that I'd love to watch more of these films, and I can't wait to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I'm again, I'm not an expert, um, but I've definitely drifted more towards Italian neorealism, and De Sica in particular is such an interesting figure. I think you should watch The Children Are Watching Us because I really do yeah. think you would like it, and the directing choices that he makes in that movie to really convey the kids anxiety and um the psychological damage the situation because the movie is basically about separation it's like parents going like in and out of love um and it the way that he conveys that is so interesting especially for the time you know that movie came out before this one it was like 1945 i think um so i I really think you would like that um but Yeah. yeah 
Um, but let's let's get into the critical stuff. Let's go to the sure. critical breakdown. Let's do some quick specs on the movie. So we're talking about bicycle thieves, um, or in Italian, it's la, uh, ladri di biciclette, um, sometimes known in the U.S. as the bicycle thief. But bicycle thieves is just like a great title. So good, yeah, like it just I like, like that instantly better, just bicycle thieves. Because it implies that this is not just his issue. This is happening all the time. You know, even though we're focusing in on this one story, mm-hmm. this has happened to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, it also is like you instantly know what the inciting incident of the story is. Yeah. Like he's not keeping the bike. No, it's <laughs> on edge. Like even watching it this time, it's like, I know he's going to lose the bike and I'm still like, no, don't lose the yeah. bike. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so this movie came out in 1948, directed by uh, Vittorio De Sica. Um, it is all about a, uh, a father named Antonio Ricci and his son, um, Bruno, Bruno, as they kind of navigate their um, situation in post-World War II Italy. He, has a, he gets a job of putting up posters or like um, advertising bills around uh, the city, and he has mm-hmm. to have a bicycle. So they buy a bike. Eventually, it gets stolen, and they go on this journey to try and get it back. It's a pretty simple premise. Yeah, like paper, realistically, like, that's it. Yeah, yeah, realistically, it's like a fetch quest. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it is the precursor to a lot of that stuff. But it's so great in the setup. It wastes mm-hmm. no time. You instantly get this scene of all these workers trying to find work, and Antonio gets the job, and he. Uh, you know, we get the sense of his family life and the idea of the location. Like every single shot is used purposefully to set up mm-hmm. some kind of idea in the story or a specific piece of information. Like the location in this movie is so good. Like even though there's so many people around, it just is so empty. Like it feels so barren in that sense. Yeah. And it, it almost like feels like you can just immediately feel what, the world war ii left on this community like it's just it's still lingering even i think this is it's 46 47 so it's like 48 okay so a couple Mm -hmm. you know even a few years removed from this like they're still reeling and trying to like all these like the swarm of people trying to get this job and i think it sets Mm -hmm. up my main takeaway this time was this theme of like insignificance amongst a group and so Mm -hmm. like from the get-go he's one guy trying to get a job in this like swarm of people that are all yeah. like desperate for a job and i think we mm-hmm. see that over and over again throughout the movie that i'll point out and um yeah just bleak right from the beginning yeah bleak yeah. setup, bleak neighborhood bleak well, everything <laughs> well it's interesting how they set up the idealism that in particular that you're talking about is giving this guy a sense of purpose and mm-hmm. that he is the one out of everybody that we see that gets a job. He's the first one to get the job. He thinks he can do it. He just needs a bicycle. He's a little down because he doesn't think he can do it, but they end up selling the sheets. His wife helps helps him and they get a bike. So he has this sense that he has a sense of importance and it's not just a way of life. It's that he's able to help his family. It's that he feels wanted and he mm-hmm. feels like he has like some sense of, importance among society because he got this job and i think that is important for the rest of the story because each each moment after that it gets worse and worse and worse and we'll talk about the turn later because i that was a big takeaway for me when this movie turns from exciting to really bleak um but 
it's such a good setup because you get a sense of the family. Every character feels like a character, like his wife has agency, which is wild to think about, mm. you know, in 1948, like she gives, a, you know, has the idea of selling the sheets. She wants to go see the, um, like the woman who like the gives fortune. Yeah. The yeah. spiritual woman. And, uh, you know, that that's when you kind of get this first sense of, you know, the hierarchy in, you know, the gender roles where he's just kind of like, Oh, a woman who spends money on that. She has money to burn, you know, something like that. Mm. Where you're just like, Oh, okay. This guy's kind of a prick, but <laughs> you're with him, you know, like it's just, just kind of how it is. You know, they're not, they're not afraid to give the character flaws, which I really appreciate. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love I love that scene of the the wife in desperation going to this like, you know, person who seems to be claiming God is speaking through them or whatever the hell it is. Mm -hmm. And um, I like it because it sets up a later scene of just, you know, you know, as the movie goes on, there's more and more desperation is like, another mm -hmm. of course. Um, and yeah, I think it's worth noting that actually the bike that he gets from the thrift stop thrift store or whatever he it was his, but he had to sell it. So that they could, you know, he says something oh. about like, you know, what did what were you going to eat that week? You know, and so that's right. Oh, it is yeah, his bike. He's getting it back. And that's so, right. Yeah. Because he says like, oh, it's a red one. You know, not that one. It's he knows which one he's getting. You exactly. know, it's not just a preference. He doesn't just like red. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I guess I didn't so, pick up on that. I think there's yeah a bit of like a pride aspect there of like he wants his bike back. Mm -hmm. You know, he talks like when he gets the job in the opening scene, he says, I have one just not right now. And so it's this issue of him having to like, they do have to get rid of their sheets, which, you know, sets up probably my favorite shot in the movie, which is when they turn their sheets into this guy and he has to like climb up this humongous pile mm. of other sheets that clearly yeah. have to sell. And like just another, in my opinion, example of this type of like insignificance amongst mm -hmm. it all, like their sheets are just one in this huge stack of people in desperation yeah. selling, you know, their last, personal mm -hmm. belonging the thing that they lay on every night yeah and, uh, mm -hmm. yeah it's just it's powerful and then the guy after them is selling his binoculars yeah that's <laughs> like, quite the item <laughs> yeah it's kind of finding things around the house to give exactly. um let's i want to talk about the performances really quick because it's interesting to, it's important to note that the main uh the main actor uh antonio uh who plays antonio ricci is, is a man named uh, lumberto um, Majirani, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, it's important to note that a lot of his dialogue is dubbed and I think it's pretty easy to tell at points, but yeah, I like it. Like it doesn't bother me, you know, it, yeah, I mean, uh, it's one of those things you kind of just accept with older films mm -hmm. is that the dubbing is pretty terrible. <laughs> it just kind it's of pretty obvious. Place. It's pretty clear. Like what he's saying and what that dude's mouth is moving. Like they're not in sync, yeah. but the emotion that this that um Majorani is able to convey is so powerful and you know the, he's he does a lot with just his face i think that's why a lot of people recognize this movie is that his his face is often just that's the poster is his face and he has this yeah. look of of um he's driven and he it has intent and you know he but he is very desperate and he's willing to do whatever it takes to make ends meet and as we see him go through this journey uh you know he fails at many turns but he's so good like i he has such a great look he has like the strong jaw bones like he has just such an interesting yeah, like he has the strong cheekbones and the sunken eyes it's like a perfect look for what you're trying to encapsulate with this character mm -hmm. he is very weathered he's clearly seen a lot of shit 
and uh, you know he has a long way to go to stability, and he just you know wants uh, he he will do whatever it takes. And I just I love following him. He's like a perfect uh, actor and a perfect character for this movie. Um, I also honestly thought his son did a pretty good job. Like uh, yeah, Enzo really. uh, Stiola is a yeah. really good child performance, surprisingly. It is. He's got so much like spunk to him. Like mm-hmm. clearly this is like a very early example of like the overly precocious kid character. And I yeah. think this is like one of my favorite kids in a movie because he's mm-hmm. like, he's just so at bat for his father and like ready to like jump to his aid. And like, mm-hmm. he's just so like want clearly like seeking approval from him and just wants to be a good son. And then like, he's also just adorable, which, you know, again, helps yeah. a lot with whole rooting for these two. And he is yeah, very cute. He's, he's yeah. like dang good for yeah, a yeah. kid actor in the forties that probably had, you know, never done anything like this in his life. Very true. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, he also has a lot of agency. He, he's very smart, you know, the way he's like cleaning and working on the bike, like when the dad comes home and, uh, he has his own job and, uh, when he like makes the decision to kind of go away from his dad after he hits him, which is a very, you know, uh, powerful scene, you know, he, the relationship changes at that point, you know, there is a different kind of um, feeling to what they're doing. Uh, And yeah, I think he, uh, it's a good pairing. You know, you can, you believe that they're father and son. And I I like that when a family feels like an actual family in a movie, because I've seen movies where it's like, none of these people know each other. Like none of these people, like it's not just about look, but look like they're a family. You know what I mean? Like this, these group of people look like they've been together forever and it's great. It makes the movie work. It makes the movie click. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, exactly. That dynamic between the, the white husband and wife is immediately there and you can feel Mm -hmm. like that they've been through a lot together, you know, Mm -hmm. just immediately. And I I think, yeah, the wife's a great, great actress in this movie as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, as you said, all these characters do have like their own agency, and like really have their motivations and it's all just like really straightforward, but it just makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do love the family dynamic of it all. Yeah. You also mentioned the scene when uh, the wife who is played uh, by, let's see, oh, whoops, wrong, wrong tab. Uh, her name is Leonella. Maria and she is played by uh, Leonella Carell. Uh, again, I, I don't speak Italian, so I can't <laughs> pronounce these. Hey, you took Italian in high school. I did. I tried. I tried. Um, but uh I, when that scene, when she goes to the spiritual woman for the first time after they get the bike, you know, that's the first moment of good tension in this movie. There's a lot of, and it's not like a thriller, I wouldn't say, but there is a lot of really good suspense in single scenes. And the fact that he leaves the bike on the side of the, uh, outside the building and the kid, he's just to the kid, he's like, Hey, watch my bike kid. And he's like, all right. And he mm-hmm. goes upstairs. You're like, oh, no, he's that, that's when he's going to take it. Because the Especially movie again, with- like, yeah, the framing of it when he's walking up the stairs and mm-hmm. you still see the bike behind him and you're like, oh, shit, this is going to yeah, be yeah. it. <laughs> well, because, again, they know the movie is called Bicycle Thieves. So, you know, at some point it's going to get taken. So you're just like, oh, is this when shit's going to get crazy? And then he comes back down and it's OK. And it's like, oh, thank God. He's a moment you get to work yet. <laughs> and then you don't get another one of those for the rest of the film. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, very, very true. Yeah. Once he gets the bike stolen, it's just like nonstop, like tires pushed uh, down the hill and you are going. And it is like when that bike gets taken, like when he's putting up the posters and at the end he the guy comes and just like takes it. You're just like, oh, no, go, 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 go. Like yeah. you're just wanting him to catch up and you again immediately connect with him. And, you know, when 
it also just kind of shows that society is in a bit of a free-for-all state like when he gets mm-hmm. on the, the car he's like hey go go i think he went to the tunnel and like the one random guy gets on the uh the car with him he's like yeah no that's him that's him and then it isn't him and he's like and i think that guy that hops on with him is an assistant or it seemed like he was in cahoots with the guy that stole the bike because he was i thought his go- like his purpose i was think so yeah the wrong way um I think you're right. Yeah. But yeah, it is this kind of like weird, like no trust. You don't really like you as the viewer don't trust anybody. So you don't really know what everyone's situation is. And if everything that's being told is the actual truth, especially like later when he gets to um, the the one the one guy who like the the younger guy who rides the bike off. And it's like this whole apartment complex is like surrounding him after Mm -hmm. he has like a seizure or whatever. You're not really sure if that's actually the situation. Like, you're not really sure if, like, that guy actually is in, you know, has a health condition or if his mom is just, like, having a front. Like, there was something about it where I didn't fully trust what they were doing, but they were in a situation where they kind of had to fight for themselves and fight for their family. So they were like, oh, like we live in a four, like, one room and there's four of us and you don't see any bikes here and my son is a good man. And, and but you could just be, like, them sticking up for themselves, like, right i don't really know and it's kind of interesting and I, this movie's not like really based in ambiguity but there is some and there yeah. is some things where you're like i don't know what this family did before the war i don't know what this group of people is all about like i don't know and i don't need those questions answered because it makes the experience more interesting and it could be right. one thing it could be straightforward it could just be like all right this kid's got a medical condition he got the wrong guy i don't fucking know but yeah. there is something there where you're like, everyone's kind of fighting for themselves in this society. Exactly. That's what I was just about to say is it's every man for himself in this society. Mm-hmm. And that's set up immediately with all these people like trying to get the job. And like as soon as he's like, oh, I don't know if I have a bike. Everyone else is like, I have a bike. I have a bike. Yeah. Like give it yeah. to me. It's like it's all about like fending for yourself. And it's like the um, – and I think we see that again. Like there's another short moment. But after he loses the bike, he's trying to get into the bus and that line to the bus is just people mm-hmm. shoving and pushing. And you yeah. see that to this day with people trying to get on buses and metros and this and that. And it's like this whole idea of like, I'm I'm here for me. I'm going to do what I need to do to get on this yeah, bus. Yeah, yeah. You, know? mm-hmm. you guys are in my way kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just, it's interesting. Yeah, that shot with the bus is, <laughs> is rough. Just makes you uncomfortable. Just yeah. Like, so many people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love... Uh, I think this is a this movie. I, I mentioned how good of a text it is, like in terms of a script. It's a perfect example of sequential storytelling. Mm-hmm. In that one thing happens, the inciting instant, he loses the bike. Every single scene after that is him dealing with that problem. It's all right, we got to go. I got to go talk to my friend to see what to do. Okay, my friend says we got to go to this market because that's where the bikes are. All right, we're gonna go to that market. Okay, that doesn't work. Okay, we go here. We go. We go here. We go here. Right. It's just all because it also is happening in such a short period of time. You know, it's like a day, essentially. It's like probably, you know, a day or two or something mm-hmm. that the main bulk of the movie takes place in. So the fact that it happens like one after the other is so interesting. And it that's really hard to pull off. Like, it's honestly really hard to get a viewer to be fully compelled with or like believe that this sequence of events would happen in this order at this specific time. And, you know, I think this is not film related, but in TV, you know, we've talked about it with like breaking bad, how good breaking bad was of just making it like this episode happens. The episode after picks up immediately, like basically right where that left off. Yeah. It's one event after the other. Just and this boom, movie boom, does boom. that. Yeah. 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 And this movie does it too. And I wouldn't say the pacing of it is necessarily like, it's not like breakneck like that. I mean, it's a very engaging movie, 
but the fact that the story beats happen so succinctly after each other is fascinating and is really masterfully done. It is. Again, I think it's um, an amazing example of pacing because I think Mm -hmm. if, you know, people going back and watching these older films, if there's a biggest issue, it is, I think, pacing and just in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, it's easy to call these films boring, but really it's just the the slower pace of the time. You know, that's Mm -hmm. what they, that's the style. And I think this film is maybe the, one of the best examples of, pacing in one of these older classic films because it just keeps moving and like Mm -hmm. it makes sense where each you know scene goes and why it ends where it ends and like you know he Mm -hmm. he loses his bike and now he doesn't want to go home because he's embarrassed so he goes to his friend to help him and then you know from there one thing to another and to another and like Mm -hmm. it just it, it flows so smoothly um, yeah, it's as smooth as someone riding a bike, I would say. <laughs> it's not funny on cobblestone, that, that, though, because there's a lot not of on cobblestone. Yeah, that. no, that, that'd be bad. No, it's got to be smooth, recently paved um, pavement. Um, that scene where he meets his friend, though, is really interesting because that, again, is the showing of the ex- ex- escalation of the desperation in the character. And he's talking to his friend, saying he lost the bike. What are we going to do? And it's fun that the fact that he has a friend in this, the one person that you actually do trust yeah. Um, that's outside of the family is this guy and he has like mm-hmm. his cohort, you know, and then the wife comes and is like, you lost the bike. And she's like, obviously upset. And he's yeah. like, don't start crying. What do you, there's no need to whine. Like, what are you yeah. whining about? And then he's like, you know, trying to like, it's this weird way of calming her down that he's actually being like, you know, being very, an ass. Yeah. Very, such an asshole. And again, at no point are you like, I hate this guy. Like, right. I don't feel like I don't think he's a great guy. I don't love him. But like at the same time, you're, I feel so bad for him. But it makes sense that he is not this, you know, polished character because he's just a guy. And at yeah, that point, just, it would dude. make sense that he's kind of shitty. He's not like this amazing intellectual or this incredibly, you know, again, polished figure. He's just a dude trying to look for his bike. Yeah, his wife's getting in the yeah. way. She's no getting saying. in the way. He's that's just, a, that's what he's thinking, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like him losing the bike is him feeling emasculated. And so, like him already having yeah. to sell to the pawn mm-hmm. shop was probably the first time. Like, no, my bike, like my my like hit my pride, because clearly at this time cars weren't an option for these people. Mm-hmm. So their bike was like their thing. It was their mode of transport. It was what they were proud of. And so mm-hmm. to, for him to lose it again is just humiliating to him to the point where he's like, I can't even go home and face my wife because I've I've shamed the family. I've shamed myself. Yeah, I mean, the bike is like a metaphor for so many things, you know, pride, a sense of purpose, you know, um, morals, ideals. Like once that's taken away, your desperation ramps up and you'll do literally anything, even if it resorts to stealing and breaking mm-hmm. your family, anything like that. Um, and like also like the change of time, it's, it's so many things. There's so many readings of this movie and it, which is again, crazy for the fact that it's so simple. Yeah. And that's what every I think scene, is, every single story beat is written with two meanings. Yeah. It's just, that's, what's beautiful about this movie is how simple and straightforward the narrative is, but how like it just hits you because it's so real and so mm-hmm. unforgiving and yeah. One thing I don't want to like, uh, you know, jumping more towards the end, like when because, you you know, and he mentioned he, he does a, his desperation. He resorts to eventually attempting to steal a bike. And what I love about 
you know, where the movie goes is at that point, after he decides to do that, it could, the movie could end with him getting arrested, thrown in jail. And that's the bleak ending. Mm-hmm. And that totally yeah. made sense. But instead that, you know, the guy who owns the bike that he tries to steal lets him go. And like, it's mm-hmm. almost like that guy knows like oh, I've been there too. Like everybody's there right now. Mm-hmm. And that's almost the more, like the more depressing ending of like, yeah. you're not uh-huh. even worth it to me. It's like, the, it's all like, again, I think pointing back to insignificance and mm-hmm. worthlessness and like, of no feeling of individuality in this post-war mm-hmm. society where everybody's been fucked over and yeah it's just it's brutal yeah which you see in the crowd situations that's why i think this movie is really well like broken up in mm. terms of acts because like start of the second act is you know when he goes to the the market and starts looking around at bike parts and you know you can see everyone's that is an that, that that is a bit of a different scenario than something like the personal element of him attacking the guy that he finds at the brothel and who <laughs> then has like the whole medical situation. That's that's a bit more of a personal like intrusive thing. This is uh you know him like trying to bargain in a weird way, you know, yeah. in this marketplace and um that feels like the first part of the second act. And then, you know, then it starts to rain when he gets taken home by the one guy, which has like one of the best lines in the movie, which gets kind of brought up a couple times is when it starts raining. The guy driving is just like, oh, just my luck. You know, just can't catch a break or something like yeah. that, you know, or I just can't win Some, something like that. Um, and that is kind of the again, another big message of, of the movie. And, you know, then they're walking in the rain and then that leads to um the church scene, mm. which is awesome. The yeah. church scene is so fucking good. It's a it is a masterclass of staging of te- intensity. It's really funny too. There honestly yeah. are like a couple of really funny moments, like when he pulls the when the kid pulls the curtain back and the priest is there and he just like and pops pre- him on the like, yeah, and the kid's like whoa, hey. it's like oh okay sorry wrong room you know. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but just like the that's the chaos when, of that church mm-hmm. scene. Oh my goodness. It's like yeah, so it, anxiety inducing. It really is because you're like, cause he's chasing after this old guy who he thinks, you know, we saw talking to someone with the bike and you know, he's trying to get information he's trying to basically kidnap him, you know, yeah. or like just trying to be like, Hey, come on, you're coming with me again. Like he's so desperate and he's such like, he's so crazed at this point where he's just like, no, you're coming with me and you're going to fucking like it old man. You know? And he's like in this, uh, you know, in this church where everyone's like singing songs and he's talking really loudly. And then finally he like just drags him away. And then a chase starts and he's like running all over the fucking church. Yeah. And I love that this is, you know, again, that there's two meetings where at one point, you know, the open, like the inciting incident is that like, you know, the state fails him. The fact mm. that he doesn't, that there's no work, that their family situation is terrible. And he, you know, uh, doesn't, have ways to actually work and make up for and help his family. And then religion fails him because everyone in the church essentially turns on him because they're like this fucking asshole. Like he's being so disruptive, like get him the fuck out of here. I don't blame those people, you know, (laughs) like that's pretty fair. Um, And, uh, and then because of that, he turns to a like a more supernatural element and goes to the, uh, to the spiritual woman yeah it's it's, just an interesting turn of events in that way yeah and as i brought up before like setting it up with like him dismissing his wife for wasting money on this and like 
come on, what fool would believe this? And now in his desperation, he's like crawling back to this mm-hmm. woman and saying, you know, now I need the guidance. I need like, that's how absolutely desperate he is where he's like, give mm-hmm. me something, give me something. Yeah. And jumping like ahead of people in line and, yeah. and you know, all of that, which is like, yeah, this guy's such an asshole, but he like, <laughs> you, you feel for him. It's, it's very, it's very interesting. And I think again, that's one of the reasons why this movie was so influential is that like, not focused on good people it's focused on people you know exactly. it's not it's not yeah. about people with the right morals it's about people with lives that they have to keep and at mm-hmm. the end of this movie lives get destroyed like, yeah. that family is never the same after no. this and that's you kind of feel that throughout this entire movie with how many people he interacts with and also i mean the kind of the scene immediately after that where it ramps up again where he's talking to his son and he hits his son and his son runs away. And then he thinks his son died because he jumped off a bridge. And he thinks that the guy who did fall in the water is his son. Mm-hmm. He gets this moment of like, oh, my God, no way. Like, is that is that my son? And he realized he does love him. And then he's like, OK, and in this moment, you're all I have. And I have this weird, strange feeling that also in that moment, which then leads to the scene where he goes to the 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 um the restaurant and they have a sandwich where he thinks that that's all he needs he has this kind of adrenaline or uh delusion in a way where he's like yeah i have my son what else do i need yeah that's we the can go have just fun like, fuck it you know what let's just mm-hmm. go eat at a restaurant that we probably can't afford like what mm-hmm. what does it matter anymore it's like him like yeah losing his grip on reality yeah almost that, you know that's that's the all is lost moment but that's the mo- that's the turn for me that scene that was the scene for me that like really got to me where i was like he's just sitting here he orders a whole bottle of wine and wants you know to drink with his son and orders the sandwich and puts on this the illusion that everything is fine and thinks that you know this is what he deserves and this is what he can have and just trying to indulge in that. And, uh, you know, his son looking over at the, like um, the rich family yeah. at the rich family. And he's like, you know, you'll have to have like a million lira a week to eat like them or something like that. And, you know, again, and I kind of read there too, cause you know, the girl at that table, it has the mozzarella sandwich and then Bruno is like pulling it and like stretching out and like trying to like mm-hmm. clearly, get the attention of this girl almost as to like be like hey see i'm just like you and you know she's mm-hmm. not even really giving him the time of day that's true well that's also why he starts to eat it with his like knife and fork because she's mm-hmm. eating it that way too and then he's just like ah fuck it yeah. and just <laughs> um but the scene is so again it's it's supposed to be a moment of levity you know at, at some point to to an extent but at the same time it is so heartbreaking because you do feel like in that moment he's given up. There is this false sense of hope and mm-hmm. false sense of security. And it's really heartbreaking. Like, and it's, and that was a moment that I had forgotten about when I was going into it. I was like, Oh, I'd forgotten about the restaurant scene. What? And it's, and it's so effective. The fact mm-hmm. that it's like, you know, minimal dialogue and uh, you know, it's, it feels like it would be a throwaway scene. Right. But it's so important to propel you into the final act. And uh, God, I love that scene. 
It's yeah. so it's, it's so like good. a quiet before the storm because immediately mm-hmm. after that we get you know they see the thief again mm-hmm. and yeah. they pursue him into his neighborhood and yeah. all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah, he runs. They run after him. And he starts like having like a seizure or something. I don't know what. And, you know, he goes to the woman's apartment and everyone's fucking turned on him. And again, that that scene has my favorite line in the movie, though, where he's talking to the cop. Mm -hmm. He's trying to say, like, I have, you know, this, you know, I I have to because he went to the police earlier and was like, are you going to file a report? And and they weren't going to help him. And in this moment, they're like, well, you don't have any you don't have any evidence. You don't have any witnesses. You don't have any like rec- recollection of who took it. And he's just standing there and he just goes, if only you knew how much this means to me, which to me was like, uh, you know, the, the real meaning of the movie, the yeah. real like line that sums everything up of how this is everything, you know, yeah. if, and how no one knows it and no one cares. Exactly. And if the. I was just like, that's the other side of the coin because I keep preaching like about insignificance amongst it all. But the other side of the coin is to that person, yeah, this bike is everything. It means their Mm -hmm. livelihood, their job, supporting their family, Mm -hmm. their wife and two kids. Like it's everything to him. And everyone else is just seemingly dismissing him as, oh, you don't, this is our good boy from this neighborhood. You don't know what you're talking about. And like Mm -hmm. all these people gang up on him. But he is right about this and there's nothing he can do. It's like, you know, the cop Mm -hmm. even says like, do you want to press charges? I can, I can take this guy in, but like, it's, this ain't looking good for you, chief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's bad. That moment where he, you know, steps back and then he's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know, forget about it. And then they'd leave and it's heartbreaking. Uh No, he finally catches this thief and he can't mm -hmm. do anything about it. Can't do anything about it. And it's one of those things where, you know, that's the turn of in the in the final act where that's kind of the real like all is lost moment where, you know, he, you know, society and the good nature of human beings has failed him as well. Yeah. And, you know, his ideals of humanity and what he was doing kind of turned around and and bit him back. And now he's lost all faith in everybody. And that's when he makes the leap to steal the bike which at that moment you're like, yeah, that's what he would do at this yeah, point. Naturally, you know? like it's the natural yeah. culmination of this mm-hmm. is that he's gonna yeah. steal a bike himself. Mm-hmm. That's what he's been drawn to in desperation, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so he, you know, has his son go to the bus and try to get on the bus, so and he doesn't have to shame. He doesn't have to himself yeah. in front of his son, but <laughs> but he misses the bus by a second. By so close, and he gets on the bike, and he is immediately caught, and people take him down, and. Yeah, the scene, yeah. the shot of Bruno like grabbing uh, his dad and being like, Papa, Papa is like, oh, it's so hard to watch. Crying. And yeah, I agree like, that like the whole um, the guy just being like, ah, just go I'm not yeah. gonna press charges and everyone else being like you. Uh, um, like you're you lucky if it was me, if, if it was me, I would have pressed charges. And it's yeah. just like, I don't know what's worse. You know, what, what's really worse, him going to jail or him like being let go and then just walking into the crowd like he's not even worth it you know yeah even him after stealing like you're not even worth it just forget yeah it. Mm-hmm. yeah and then it's yeah the most amazing ending ever of all time no but just them walking into the crowd and disappearing into it again i think solidifying my beautiful take of this I, I, you know, 
biased it's my take but like <laughs> insignificance amongst the crowd they blend into the mm-hmm. crowd or they're gone they're they cease mm-hmm. to be from the viewer's point of view because it does you know their their troubles are a drop in the bucket mm-hmm. compared to this huge city where everybody's dealing with this again i think it's called yeah. bicycle thieves because this is not a a significant story in terms of like this is happening to a lot of people. It may not be a bike stolen. It may be, you know, a job lost for a reason they, you know, shouldn't have been or mm-hmm. someone dying in an accident and now the family can't support it. Like there's all these tragedies happening over and over. But like in the grand scheme of things, it's it's nothing. It's meaningless. Yeah. It's you're a thief that doesn't matter and you don't even want to press charges. And it's mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect ending just having them yeah. fade into the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it also kind of pairs well with the fact that it's not just the fact that this has happened before, but it's the fact that everyone is in the same situation. And -hmm. it's about society acting in a certain period of time. One thing that I had totally forgotten about when I rewatched this is the framing device around this football match. And right. how, you know, you see how it's set up with the, the fans driving by at one point mm-hmm. and it's mentioned again, like, oh, there's the big match later. You're going to go. And it's like, yeah, oh, is you that a, a fan good team? of this team. Or yeah, whatever, uh-huh. yeah. And then right when he decides to steal the bike, that's when the the, the fans let out and the game, the game ends and he realizes he can blend in pretty easily. And that's like a cool parallel to the beginning of his plan, to the end of his plan where he wants to blend in. Yeah, blends in in the wrong way. Like he wants to go one way, but he ends up going the completely opposite direction. And it's, I agree that the ending is one of the greatest endings ever because of what it signifies for, again, the rest of the story. It's a perfect, it's a perfect exclamation mark at the end of the sentence of just, you don't see him go back home. He doesn't talk to his wife again. There's nothing more to say. It's the end of the journey. And he just fades in to like, you'd recognize his hat, but mm-hmm. then as soon as he gets through like just a few people, it's nobody, you know, yeah. it's like it's just a crowd uh, of people. Yeah, exactly. It's just mm-hmm. mm, it's mm. So good. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it also like pisses me off too. Like when he's stealing the bike and immediately there's so many people swarming him to help. Like the mm-hmm. person I went earlier when he's yelling thief, thief, it mm-hmm. doesn't like barely anybody's helping him. And it's like, yeah. It's like this whole damn city's out to get him. Yeah, exactly. That's it almost feels like he, is he's in a more uh, wealthy area, like a more affluent yeah. area than he was earlier. Like, cause that might have something to do with it, or just the people getting out of the game are more aware of that. And yeah, like, that's also it. true. I, mean, I don't know. The, but either there's way. the iconic shot of him and his son sitting mm-hmm. on the sidewalk, you know, as if they're like bums, which is just, uh, which is also yeah. like kind of the scene that or the shot that is most attributed I, yeah, to I've this seen film. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. just all over as like the the cover photo or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a great ending. Um, do you have any other uh, critical things, or do you want to move into analysis? Yeah, let's. Uh, I'm I'm ready to dive right into analysis. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to analyze this. I really do love your take on the insignificance. I think that's mm-hmm. a pretty, uh, pretty strong theme, and is incorporated well visually, and um. And obviously, like within the story from the get go and Mm -hmm. of being singular and then um, coming full circle to the end of being pushed into a into a group. Um, So I I really liked how everyone fails each other in this movie. Like it's not just about failure, but the how relationships are broken down and how the relationship specifically with his son, you know, he 
goes through so many ups and downs. Like at the point, you'd think it was the end when he hits him, but that's just a change. And you wouldn't right. necessarily think that. But by the end, again, that image of him saying, Papa, Papa, like, please, like, no, like, he clearly failed his son. And, you know, when even though he like grabs his hand when they're walking down, yeah. you get the sense that this kid is even aware that, like, this is it. Like, this is this is all yeah, we got. There's nothing we can do. The same. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just this breakdown of um, of optimism and, uh, you know, love for and hope for your family. And I, I think that, again, is an interesting, you know, theme within Italian neorealism, especially in Sika with the children are watching where, again, it's flipped where the child experiences neglect through his parents whereas this the man realizes that he has failed his family um and set his family like back to zero and so i find that you know the failure aspect and i do agree that the insignificance is um you know is something that really uh is what kind of kicks you you know at the end yeah yeah and just like so the other examples of like that I touched on are like the sheets all piled up, the mm-hmm. crowd at the beginning, crowd at the end. I also mm-hmm. really like well, the the people in line for the bus. But then also when, right before he steals, there's just, you know, these shots panning through of all these bikes lined up outside the mm-hmm. stadium, like just this insane amount of bikes. And mm-hmm. like he could pick any of them, like which ones he's going to steal. And like the, that moment of like, you know, it seems like he's got this bounty in front of him and yet, nothing is to be none of these bikes will be his Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and yeah it sucks and again like it's society failing him it's uh i hate using the term society in analysis because i feel like it's used so blatantly and it's so broad but like it like i said it goes he goes through the stages of failure and that like his friends can't help him at first and he feels bad about that and you know he thinks people are going to try and do right. He wants his, he feels like his son fails him at one point, like when he doesn't like catch up like to the, the, the man on the bike and he's like the religion aspect and the people who should be commoners with him, like everyone turns against him. And it, it was another kind of thing where I messaged you and I was like, this does kind of feel like parasite in a way where you have this sense of liking, but also not liking every character like every character you feel for, but you also see them do terrible things. Like in Parasite, what's great is you go back and forth about like, is is the the poor family great or are they shitty? Like, are you rooting for them or is the rich family? Like, are they assholes? Do they deserve mm-hmm. it? And then you're like, oh, do they actually not deserve it? Like, right. it's this really cool, it, I don't want to say ambiguity, but again, it go, you it's so easy to flip-flop back and forth between who's good and who's bad. But I, I also don't think it's about a movie that's just good and bad. It's again about desperation and it's a movie that, um, it shows how, how far people will go and, um, the lengths that they go in this movie is realistic, you know, in the the realm of the story. Right. As we said, like him, like leading to him stealing a bike himself is the natural progression of like Mm -hmm. what a desperate person in this situation would do. Like, Mm -hmm you got the desperation of turning to the spiritual person, which he had already denounced before. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, he, he's been so against this bicycle thief this whole time and to only become one himself. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe the title has something to do with that, Bicycle Thieves, because he becomes a bicycle thief too. So, right. I mean, you watch two different thieves in the same film, uh, Steal, Steal a Bike. And um, I mean, naturally, given this situation, who wouldn't do the same? You know, yeah. I think it asks that of the viewer, like, wouldn't you do this? And so you have a moment where he's stealing this bike and you're rooting for me. I go, wait, but he's now yeah. he's part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, yeah. You know, I mean, what else could you do in such a situation? Mm-hmm. Well, there is a whole other, you know, aspect of the movie where status, I don't think the status class struggle is the main conflict of the movie where it's like upper class versus lower class. Like, I don't think that's the main focus or focal point. But I think it's there again with the soccer match going on and, um, you know, having it placed in Rome and uh, at the end where it does feel a bit more affluent. And, you know, again, going back to this feeling of he thinks he has a sense because he has this job and he has this bike and he's able to, you know, take his son to work and ride with his wife and, you and know, he save up money. Hat and, and he's like, he gets, it's a he gets the good hat and it's, a great yeah, hat. it's like, um, you know, like he's made it. He's a working man. Yeah. And he feels as though he is helping society and he is, um, you know, doing what's right. And I mean, doing what's best for him. So he's an important figure. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense of confidence and almost arrogance in that, that leads him to, turn on others and you know demand that he sees the serial number on the bike and like how could you keep this information for me i'm gonna tell the police and barge into a brothel and try and find the thief and be like i want to talk to you outside now like when they're having all the girls are having dinner and just trying to chill you know and i do think there is a someone you could probably delve deeper into the into the class aspect of things. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's pretty apparent early on with the imagery of, again, the city feeling like it's so empty, even though there's so many people or the wife carrying like the buckets of water, like are behind like barbed wire. You know, I right. think all of that imagery of like, you know, the poor, you know, and labor class, like just constantly um, working to get nothing while this soccer match is going on is there I don't think, again, it's not the main conflict of the movie, but it feeds into his intentions and his uh, his goals for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something, again, that unlocks itself a bit more on a few more rewatches because I think the first time when you watch it, you're just kind of going through the motions of like, oh, what's going to happen next? Like, where's he going to go, you know? Um, and I think also, you know, he tries to fit in in that restaurant but again, he sticks out yeah, and he doesn't exactly. blend in and he doesn't feel like he's actually blended in or he has a sense of he doesn't have a place until the end when he becomes nothing in a sense. And it's a very interesting uh, juxtaposition of those. Absolutely. Images, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot there with that as well. Mm-hmm. What does the bike mean, Matt? <laughs> does the bike mean no I, I i think you you nailed it earlier i think the bike is like superiority like having this purpose like this is my bike i'm using it for my job i'm supporting my family and so as soon as that's taken away from him his dignity is taken away his livelihood's taken away mm-hmm. his purpose is taken away his means of income like mm-hmm. he that bike is everything to him at that point and so when he loses mm-hmm. it it's like he loses what made him so proud to be where he was Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah 
No, I agree. And it's the key to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it is. And again, it's uh, hats off to the screenwriters for making all of these, uh, these greater themes be focused entirely into one object that is so mundane and so generic that, you know, it's all, it's a sign of money. You know, you can, again, with the class thing, just chasing after a better lifestyle. Um, and that's the key to it or like the first step or a way to um, escape, you know, the effects of war. And there's mm-hmm. persecution in there in, in ways and feeling trapped and um, feeling like, like there is almost this like prison sense to this movie because of it. And they do feel like locked in and they're being attacked and nobody is um, is working for each other. It's just themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I do think, again, like going back to the class thing, the fact that he, do, he does see the richer family and it's kind of this overt metaphor. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's this key to um, uh, to something better. And it's the unobtainable goal. You know, it's kind of like the yeah. Glen, the Glengarry leads and Glengarry Glen Ross in a way where it's like that is the tell all that is my ticket out of here. That is my way to a better life. And it's, you know, like, it's almost too good to be true that I can get it because it yeah. seems so easy that he can get it by it back, you know? Yeah. It's a like they just quickly get rid of their sheets and boom, boom. And now he's got it back and everything's great. Mm-hmm. Only for yeah. it all to fall apart, at, you know, in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And he knows that there's never going to be another opportunity like this. And that's yeah. why it's so dire because you feel as though, okay, what, what is the other option? He's not going to get another bike. He's wronged so many people. He is kind of in with the, pol- not in, but he's like known by the police at this point. You know, what other uh, opportunity does he have? He just kind of has yeah. to stay in his place. And I, I am very hesitant to call this movie cynical because I don't think it's just being like, isn't life shitty? I know more than you because life is terrible. Yeah. I do think there is a beauty in this movie. It's more of a sad movie. And yeah, not just that it of, makes you sad, but it's told in a way that the like DeSeco, I think, is very upset with the mm-hmm. way that this goes. And he's very much like he feels the impact as much as like it's again, it's not punishing like the it doesn't punish the audience yeah it's just the reality of the situation mm -hmm. for post-war italy you know and i'm sure he saw that you know amongst friends and people and i i even was quickly reading about the actor that plays um antonio right Mm -hmm. um and he was a bricklayer before acting in this movie so he probably knows exactly what it was like lining up waiting for a job Mm -hmm. so this was just the reality it's not a smugness of like yeah, look how terrible life can be. It's just like, this is what we are dealing with. Like, mm-hmm. this is how it is. And yeah. it doesn't get better immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So we've talked a lot about Bicycle Thieves. I think it's, again, it's just an, an accomplishment of a film. But as always, we got to end it with the question. Uh, so tell us, Matt, why you love this movie and how it adds to your love of movies. You know, I just, I really like this film. I do think it's one that, <laughs> Holds up really, really well. It's paced so well. I think it's absolutely deserves to be considered, you know, Mm -hmm. in the upper tier of Mm -hmm. the film, you know, world. And again, I think it's, you just immediately can see where 
you know, when I'm watching this, I'm thinking so much of like Sean Baker's films and just like mm-hmm. even some like Linklater stuff, like just these films that just portray average life, but in mm-hmm. do, do so in such a captivating way. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of it started with this movement and especially this film, just matter of the, the matter of factness of it all, the, the just the raw reality of it all. And mm-hmm. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think what you said, you know, really knocks it out of the park. Again, we talked about it earlier of how satisfying it is to watch a movie yeah. that's so highly regarded and not just and to, to say that you've seen that it, yeah. but to be on board with it and to be like, yeah, I understand and I, I want more people to see it. I want more people to understand why this movie is so important. And I, I think this is absolutely one of the better classics that I've seen. And I, I like a lot of classics. I am much more in the camp of like, when I watch a classic, I find a lot more positives than I do negatives. Sure. Um, maybe that's the filmmaker in me. Maybe that's just cause I eat this shit up. I don't know, but <laughs> I think this is a movie that everyone should see. And I think because it's a movie that really is about the audience. It is yeah. a movie that lets the audience in. And I think again, that kind of adds more to my thing of saying this movie isn't cynical because it is important to remember that the main characters are the audience. And I'm not saying that in just the audience character, like asking questions to give world exposition, but these are people. This is a movie about people and it's a movie and people are going to go see this movie who, you know, it's mostly commoners like you and I, um, (laughs) who may make mistakes or in terms of, you know, life goals will turn to desperation and, want what's best for them and find like arrogance in that and confidence and we'll do what, what needs to be done, you know, by any means necessary, if it, in order to help themselves, even if they don't see a good end to it, even if it isn't worth it, like, is it it, in the end, you kind of have the question of like, was all of this worth it? Right. You know, like it's, uh, it's kind of interesting this way. Of course it did. Yeah. Did it have to be this way? You know, it could have, could have gone so many different ways. And I think that's interesting again, like bringing the, making the audience feel as though they're a part of this world and that they could easily fit into this society. I mean, obviously throughout the decades, you know, we don't know what it was, you know, personally what it was like to live in a post-world, post-World War II Italy, but you understand where everyone is coming from. Yeah, and there, it's such an uh, an experiment in uh, in empathy, and in pain, and in uh, in sorrow, and consequent in consequences, in sequences. It's just a feat of filmmaking that inspires, like pretty much all filmmakers. I think like there's yeah. nothing in this movie that doesn't make you learn something about filmmaking. Like yeah. every single decision, story element, shot scene acting like whatever you can take something away and learn something about the craft that you are pursuing and not only that it's one of those things where you watch it and your whole mind opens up to other films that you see the influence on and it's not just like we've talked about before like when i watched citizen kane for the first time i noticed a lot of pop culture references right but this is like i notice the influence I mm-hmm. see where films like Linklater's movies or Slice of Life movies or even something like, I mean, we talked about Call Me By Your Name recently, like that can be rooted back to here in some way. Sure. And uh, it's so exciting. And the fact that this is still so good. Yeah. Because you know, sometimes, again, you watch a classic and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I see why it's important, but I like other films that have done it. 
better. But this is the not the first one, but it's the big one. It's the big Italian film, you know, that uh, that changed it all. Yeah, and it's, it's just, so, so satisfying. Yeah, it's an it's, amazing, amazing movie. It's it's a film you watch and you go like, damn, that's what a film can be. That's mm-hmm. what you can do with this medium. Yeah, that is cinema. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts before we sign off? I think we said it all, my dude. Love mm-hmm. this movie. Yes, please, please watch it. You haven't. It's on HBO Max. It's on Criterion Channel. Buy the Criterion Blu-ray. Whatever you need to do, this movie is incredibly worth your time. Thank you, as always, Matt. It's always a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, you know I love coming here. You know I love talking film with you. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. That does it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Huge thanks again to Matt for coming on the show. It's always wonderful to have him on. I love talking with him. Like I said up top, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Follow the show on social media. Frankly, I love movies on Facebook and Instagram. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. Next week, I will have the next diary entry up for you guys, talking about a whole bunch of new movies that I saw. And then on December 6th, two weeks from today, I will have the next standalone episode out all about Ali, Fear Eats the Soul with Kathy Crane. It's going to be a fantastic listen. I hope you guys check it out. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.